Welcome to the NBA Deep Dives podcast. I am your host, Nick Agar-Johnson. Every team in the NBA has now played over 20 games in the 2019-2020 season, so I figured it would be a good time to check in on the award races. Obviously, we've got a ways to go till the end of the season, but this is a good time to sort of step back and give some credit to some of the players who have been really spectacular this year in various different ways. So I'm here today with Tyler Metcalf and Kevin Nye. Tyler, how are you doing? Doing great. Happy to be back on. Thanks for having me, Nick. And Kevin, how about you? Hanging in here. Happy to talk basketball anytime someone is willing to talk basketball. Well, let's get started with the MVP race, certainly something that is a popular discussion point in the basketball community. And we all have the same top four, but we have them in a bit of a different order. And we're certainly going to have some arguments when we get to number five on those lists. But let's start at the top where we did all agree on Giannis Adetokounmpo in the top spot. He's currently averaging 30.8 points, 13.1 rebounds, 5.4 assists per game. He's taking and making three-pointers for the first time in his career, not all that efficiently at a 31% clip, but he is at least shooting them, which is certainly a difference from the rest of his career. The Bucks are tied for the best record in basketball. As of this morning, they had the second best offense and the best defense in the league. And I mean, Giannis won last year and he's been somehow even better through the early part of the season so far. But Tyler, why did you have him at the top slot on your theoretical MVP ballot? Yes, yeah, so, and you kind of just summed it up there. He's just been completely dominant in every aspect of the game and just better on both ends of the floor, which is hard to imagine. Um, and his outside shooting still isn't great but it's necessary for his game and it opens up driving lanes because teams have to at least respect him from out there um because if he starts knocking them down um he's going to be a whole nother animal um and his net rating is 15.8 i don't love plus minus but he's he leads the league at plus 11.1 and they lost uh their all-star for a few games in uh chris middleton and he made sure that that team did not lose a step on either end of the floor. And he's just been absurd all around. Yeah. I'm going to back up on that. You know, it's, it's a lot of things that you guys have already touched on, but in addition to he's been better this year and the bucks are better. I I don't even think the bucks are better. I think he has gotten so much better that the bucks are better. You know, I mean, at the beginning of the season, the first week, there was a lot of talk about losing Malcolm Brogdon and then, you know, they after they blew that lead to the Celtics, everyone's like, oh, man, this this Bucks team. And now they've won like 14 straight or 13 out of 14 or something like that. They just they're so good. And I, I don't even really know if the team is more talented than it was. Um, but he's just absolutely ridiculous. And every time you watch him, you're just like, wow, there's not there's still things he can get better at and nobody can slow him down. I mean, he's still only playing like 31 minutes a game and putting up, you know, 30 and 13 or yeah, 30, 13, five assists. He's got a steal and a half and a block and a half a game. He's just so dominant and so likable, which helps. So he's, he's my number one and it's relatively close, but, but he's just too good. I think that minutes point is a really important one to reference when you're talking about Giannis. He's spending less time on the court than everyone else in my top five, and certainly everyone in the top four that I think has started to distance themselves in this MVP race. I mean, the Bucs have been, if not the best team in basketball, then certainly they're tied for the best record right now with the Lakers, and they're doing it all with Giannis spending significantly less time on the court than all these other players because... As was a bit of a theme last year, the Bucks are coming into fourth quarters with dramatic leads pretty much every time. And maybe his stats don't look as ridiculous as they could if he were playing 37 minutes a game. But the reason he's not playing 37 minutes a game is because he's so dominant in that first 30. Right. Do you know who is playing 37 minutes a game? Someone else on the top five of your MVP ballot? James Harden. 
James Harden, number two on Kevin's list. So let's just say quickly for the record before we get into Harden that I have LeBron at number two and Tyler has Luca at number two. But Kevin, since you have Harden right below Giannis on your ballot as ended up being the final voting tally at the end of last year, Giannis number one, Harden number two. What are your thoughts on what we've seen out of Harden in Houston so far this year? So it's a somewhat similar thing to um, the Bucks losing Brogdon and Giannis staying so good. Um, and for what it's worth, I have LeBron three, so I'm not trying to downplay anything he's doing. But I think the Rockets are substantially worse than they were last year. Russ Westbrook is um, a passionate basketball player, and I there's I don't know I I don't think he's a good fit there. So Harden is even doing more than ever before, and he's averaging 39 freaking points per game. And yes, he's playing a lot because he has to. Um, but in the Toronto game the other night, it was like watching the one high school team where the kids got a scholarship, and everyone else is like five foot ten, and the other team is just like, well, we just got to throw like 15 guys at the superstar and let everyone else beat us. And everyone else was so open all game that they end up beating the Raptors. Uh, he's uh, don't get me wrong. I hate watching him play. <laughs> I hate the fact that he's going to rip someone's arm out of its socket and get called for, and get a defensive foul called and go shoot free throws. But he's doing everything you could ask. And then some, and he's, they're good. The Rockets are winning. Um, so I part of it is guilt that I can't justify a guy scoring 39 points a game and then not having him in the top two, but he's he's just absolutely ridiculous. Tyler, as our resident James Harden fan, <laughs> what are your thoughts on what he's done so far this year? I mean, he, he's an absurd talent, I and mean, it's it's hard. It's obviously hard to get 39 points a game, I and mean, what he's doing is historic um it's also some of the worst basketball that you can possibly ever watch <laughs> um and to be fair I and mean, he's shooting below 35 percent from three on the year so imagine if he gets even just into like the mid to high 30s he's going to easily be over 40 um everything on this team runs through him the team goes as he goes um i, I hate the foul hunting i hate his style of basketball um and kevin brought it up with Giannis and how likable he is i would assume that harden's likability scores and the negatives at this point um with just the, the antics that he and the rockets generally get up to but and his talent is unreal he's super talented um and one of if not the best scorers we've seen in quite some time so i have him fourth um i just don't think that what he does at the end of the day is going to produce long-term winning championship basketball, whereas Giannis and Luka and LeBron, um, I think the, their style of play um, is much better for their teams. I think it's more valuable. I think it produces more sustainable winning basketball. So I also had Harden at fourth on my list, and I did struggle a bit with something that Kevin mentioned, namely, how could I leave him outside of the top two, given the ridiculous pace he's on? He is currently averaging the highest scoring average the NBA has seen since Wilt Chamberlain. And anytime you can have a statistical argument that includes since Wilt Chamberlain, you know that you're doing something pretty impressive. But ultimately... I had a very clear top four on this ballot and there's no way that Harden was going to fall below fourth in that sense. But I think the reason that I ended up having him below the three guys that I have ahead of him is because when the other three players on this list have bad games and bad scoring games and inefficient scoring games in particular, I feel like they have a much better positive impact on their teams when James Harden does. Whereas when Harden has a bad game, the Rockets are almost guaranteed to lose. I think that Giannis, LeBron, and Luka can contribute in enough other ways that even on their worst nights, they're not as damaging to the team as James Harden is on his worst nights. And 
Certainly when you talk about Harden, a lot of the arguments against him will eventually circle back to playoff performances. And I think this particular problem really rears its head for Harden in the playoffs. That's fair. I guess I would argue a little bit to say, but it's the regular season MVP. Sure. Fair enough. So, you know, I agree with you. I agree, but um, you can make the argument that playoff success doesn't matter for this award. So, I don't know. Either way. Let's move on to the guy that I have number two on my list, and we've sort of tangentially referenced him when referring to the other players. Both Tyler and Kevin had him at number three on their theoretical ballots. LeBron James is leading the league in assists right now. He's averaging 10.7 assists per game. This is his career high by a significant margin. He's gotten back to playing maybe not the level of defense that he was playing in Miami, but certainly the best defense he's played in the last half decade or so. And the Lakers are tied for the best record in the league. And somehow at 35 years old, LeBron has become a point guard. So and I think the biggest thing you touched on there was his defense. And, you know, he's playing good defensively, but I think the bigger thing is that he's just playing defense again. And his defensive rating, I know it's more of a team stat, but it's still 101.5, which is absurd. And just he's not playing with children anymore in LA. So he looks rejuvenated. He looks happy and excited to be out there for the first time in quite some time. And he's really making it a point to get all of his teammates involved um, throughout the entire game. And he looks the best we've seen him in quite some time and missing the playoffs last year probably did a lot to just let his body recover. And the fact that he's doing this in year 17 is absurd. Yeah. There's not really much to add about him. He's just so good. And he's got, um, he's got some narrative on his side this year too, which we know helps. Um, the fact that he's old ish and the fact that he's, uh, he has said like, Oh, I'm, Turning the turning the team over to Anthony Davis, and which obviously he never does, um, but he's got this narrative of like, I'm the one who's going to make this work, and I'm going to make sure Anthony Davis gets what Anthony Davis wants, and I'm going to make sure we win. And Anthony Davis is only here because I'm here. Um, he's got enough beyond basketball juice to stay very, very near the top of this race. And, you know, if the Bucks hit a hit a little slide and the Lakers stay hot and win 60 games, uh, I think he's going to be right there. The only reason I have him a little farther down is because um, I think, you know, we talked about Giannis. He's incredible. He's number one. The only reason I have LeBron behind Harden is because um, LeBron is LeBron is historically great. Harden is being historically great this season. That's the only difference. I mean, they're they're more or less a coin flip, but I just have LeBron a, a hair behind. And finally, the last player out of that top four grouping is also the most surprising out of that top four grouping. At 20 years old, Luka Doncic has gone from EuroLeague MVP to rookie star to knocking on the door of superstardom. And I mean, he's in the top five of all of our MVP ballots. I had him at theoretical number three. Tyler had him theoretical number two. Kevin had him theoretical number four. But anything in the top five or even top 10 of an MVP race, given his age, is absurd. He's averaging over 30 points a game, 10 rebounds a game, a little over nine assists per game. And... He has been the alpha and the omega of the offense for the Dallas Mavericks that is currently the best in the NBA, and he's doing all of this despite a really disappointing early season from Kristaps Porzingis. So I think it's safe to say that the Mavericks won the uh, doncic Trey Young trade, right? Um, <laughs> I mean, just th- this kid is incredible. He's, he's 20 years old, and he's taken the league by storm. He's third in the league in points. He's first in the league in assist percentage at 49. And everything on this team runs through him. And I, and I you can make the argument that um, now, oh, now he is Christoph Porzingis, but Porzingis hasn't really even been that good. I, and that when you look at the guys that Luca's surrounded with, they're pretty middle of the road players at this point who he is helping make better. Um the fact that he's almost averaging a triple double, I mean, it's noteworthy, but I don't think that's the reason why 
he's in the running for the MVP. Just what he does every play makes his team so much better than they would be without him. Yeah, Tyler, uh, I'm going to take a little issue when you suggest that Dorian Finney-Smith is not an MVP caliber teammate for uh, for Luca <laughs> there. But um, no, it, my take on this is similar to um, Nick. I think you were saying it about Harden earlier is um, to have to be in the top four right now is just is basically saying you're within a, a, a hair's breadth of being an MVP. Like to say Luca is behind those other guys is like saying, well, you're just one of the four best at this thing in the entire world. So like, that's still pretty good. I mean, he's, he's been absolutely surreal and you watch him and you just can't believe how easy it's looking. Um, not just because he's 20, but because he doesn't have arms like the the guys from Space Jam, or, you know, Michael Jordan at the end of Space Jam. He doesn't have arms like that, like Giannis does. He doesn't have LeBron's history of making you say, oh my God, how did he do that? Um, he doesn't have Harden's, I'm going to just shoot the ball and you can throw 10 guys at me all game and I'm going to score anyway. Like, he doesn't make you know he doesn't have that unbelievable athleticism but it still looks so easy he's it's like he's i don't i don't know how to explain it it's just so like measured and controlled and insanely effective he's he's unbelievable and i i don't fault tyler for having him second or eunuch for having him third he just kind of ended up fourth on mine now let's have a little bit of a disagreement. All three of us had different players at the fifth spot on this theoretical ballot, which on the one hand, given that the top four are so close, it feels a bit like a participation award. But on the other hand, when you're talking about any sort of theoretical MVP ballot, you're talking about the absolute cream of the crop seasons. So Tyler, why don't you walk us through your fifth choice for your theoretical MVP at this point in the season? Yes, I, the main reason I went with this guy was just to kind of mix it up a little bit, um, seeing as who you guys had. Um, and I, I don't necessarily disagree with your selections, but I just really wanted to put some shine on Carl uh, Anthony Towns and how absurd this guy is and how he is just a historically great talent. Um, and he's averaging 26 points, 12 rebounds, four and a half assists per game. He's shooting over 50% from the floor, 43 from three, and almost nine three-pointers a game. Name me another seven-footer who can do that. Um, he has more steals per game than Embiid and Gobert. He has as many blocks per game as Embiid and Jared Allen. Um, his defense has improved a ton. I get that the team still needs to win a lot more. Um, they've had a lot of injury and player personal reasons um, that have caused missed games recently, but this guy is so good. Um, will he finish the year on the MVP ballot? Probably not, um, just because I don't think the team will be good enough. But to discredit his talent or what he's doing on the floor night in and night out um, is a shame, and he is so good. and needs to be recognized for it. Carl Anthony Towns is not an elite shooter for a big man. Carl Anthony Towns is an elite shooter, period. Yep. He's one of the best three-point shooters in basketball, and he's seven feet tall, and he's got one of the best post-up games in the league. And ultimately, while I didn't end up putting him on this ballot, I think it's totally reasonable just given that he's putting up absolutely unprecedented play on the offensive end and combining it with decent defense, whereas throughout most of his career, decent defense for Carl Anthony Towns would be a compliment. Kevin, what about the guy that you had fifth on your ballot? Sure. So first I'll say that Carl Anthony Towns is deserving of that fifth spot. Um, I went with Kawhi Leonard because um, I think just trust. Uh, I think like Kawhi is not playing like the fifth best player, you know, his stats aren't the fifth best in the NBA, but Kawhi is going to end up being the best player on one of the best teams. And, you know, we spent the, well, from like April through what 
October saying, you know what, I think Kawhi Leonard is the best basketball player on the planet. And, you know, Giannis is right there, but Kawhi just dominated the playoffs. And in a few of the, not every game, but in a few games this year, he'll just remind you that, oh, I can get to any spot on the floor. I can make every shot on the floor. I can shut down anyone in this entire league. So this one is, he's fifth for me kind of on reputation as much as on productivity on the court. The thing about Kawhi that has been concerning to me so far this season is he's only shooting 31% from three. And more than that, he's been leaving a lot of those shots short. And given that his tendinopathy seems like an issue that he's going to have to manage throughout the rest of his career, it is really worrying to me when he just continually short arms a bunch of those threes or short leg, I suppose would be more accurate. But speaking of Kawhi Leonard, someone who is very much Kawhi Leonard adjacent, at least this season, I had Pascal Siakam at fifth on my ballot, and he has somehow made another leap. We will talk about him in another spot on this podcast later on, but he's putting up 25 points a game, eight and a half rebounds a game, nearly four assists per game, and he's been leading a Toronto team that is surprisingly still near the top of the Eastern Conference, and they've missed Kyle Lowry for basically half of their games so far, and same with Serge Ibaka. Really, Siakam is doing all of this without some of the additional help players that one might have expected to be important for Toronto so far this year, and Fred Van Vliet is also having a spectacular year. That certainly helps, but it's been really impressive to see Pascal take yet another leap. So this is the other guy I was kind of between towns um, on for that fifth spot. But I just have we ever seen someone make as big of a jump as Siakam has in the past two years going going from essentially a role player off the bench to a full-fledged superstar and this guy is what he's done over the past two years in his development is up there with the best of them um for some reason just that miami game and how he had only one shot attempt in the fourth quarter in overtime um really has bothered me for some reason it just i don't understand why he disappeared like that but what he's done this year is his and he's jumped to that superstar status and taken a Toronto team who I had very low expectations for this year to a legit Eastern Conference contender. Yeah, I'll chime in real quick and just say he's been great, no doubt about it. Um, I think what puts him, you know, maybe a couple spots farther down and below the the Kawhi and Carl Anthony Townses of the world um, is that. And I, I haven't seen that much of him this year. I've seen a couple of Raptors games, but not watching them, you know, every night. I just have a feeling that in like you could find a way to stop Pascal Siakam uh, more easily than you could find a way to stop uh, Kawhi or uh, or Towns. And in both cases, um, sort of like what you mentioned earlier, Nick, this fifth spot is a little bit of a consolation prize at this point. Let's move on to Defensive Player of the Year. Tyler and I have the same guy in the top slot in Anthony Davis of the Los Angeles Lakers. Kevin is clearly way, way down on Davis' defense since he only had him second on his theoretical ballot. Opponents are shooting 44.5% when guarded by Anthony Davis inside of six feet from the rim, which is more than 14 points worse than league average per the NBA.com stats website. The Lakers are one of the best defenses in the league. Anthony Davis has more total blocks than anyone else in basketball. And before the season, Davis was saying that he wanted to win defensive player of the year. And he's certainly been on track through the first 20 or so games. He He's just a force on defense. And we've seen this from him in the past. He just hasn't. I guess really had the team um, or the health to support uh, a season long defensive player of the year campaign. Um, just his versatility is what's the most impressive to me where, and he's, he absolutely controls the paint. He can switch on guys out on the perimeter when he closes out, it's always under control. Um, and he can recover if 
you know, the quicker guys get past him, but he doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't get beat. He's just so sound and his timing on blocks is perfect. Um, He's just, he really controls that team, which has turned into one of the best defenses in the league. Uh, No doubt about it. That dude can play. Um, He's, he's absurd. Um, He's turning into the Anthony Davis that, that everyone was like, this guy's going to be amazing and he's going to do this, this, and this. And he kind of did it in new Orleans for a couple of years and he battled some injuries, but nobody noticed, you know, he'd go to the all-star game and he played great. And you were like, wow, this guy is really good. And then, you know, they'd miss the playoffs or they lose in the first round or whatever. And you just kind of forgot. And then I have a friend who, for years, we've been sending each other season preview emails and like, here's who I think is going to win uh, the awards. And I would always be like, I think Anthony Davis is going to win it this year. He's so good, blah, blah, blah. And then he just doesn't. Um, and so I think that guy is showing up this year, even though his stats are a little less than they were. You know, he's, his rebounds are down because, I don't know, you play with LeBron James and you win more games. You just get fewer rebounds. Um, and I guess he's playing more power forward technically, but positions don't really matter that much. Um, but you know, he's absolutely been fantastic. So you're right. I did slight him pretty hard by putting him second. Well, let's give you a chance to explain yourself. You had Rudy Gobert at number one on your list. I had him at number two on mine. The jazz defense has taken a couple of pretty bad beatings recently, one of them to these Los Angeles Lakers, but it's been another incredibly impressive season from Rudy Gobert on the interior. Why did you end up having him ahead of Anthony Davis and by proxy insulting the entire city of Los Angeles? Sure. Well, let me go on record and just aggressively slight the city of Los Angeles because uh, the rest of California is better than L.A., uh, <laughs> Hi, I'm recording this from Oakland, so full power to that statement. Oh, good, good, good. So, no, um, it, they're, they are neck and neck. I think, to be completely honest, I watch more of the Jazz games than L.A., so uh, watching guys like go toward the paint and then just turn around. Uh, so, Gobert, I, I'm on the, the defensive dashboard on and uh, NBA stats page looking at Gobert and he's right about there with um, with Davis. His opponents are shooting 46% inside of six feet, 39% inside of 10, which is uh, uh, inside of 10. He's 17% better than the league average or, or the differential there uh, versus, I guess maybe that's what he's shooting or maybe that's the league. This page confuses me a little bit anyway. Um, so as good as he is defending these shots in the paint, the amount of shots that don't get taken is just through the roof. Um, the flip side and the counter argument that is completely valid is that the Jazz have been worse on defense recently. Um, but I think it's got a lot more to do with instead of Derek Favors at power forward, they're doing like Jeff Green and Royce O'Neal and Joe Ingles, and the, the rest of the team is much smaller. Um, so they're getting beat kind of on the perimeter more or um or like a team that has two bigs is going at those those small guys and they just uh they just have kind of not figured oh i'm sorry boyan bogdanovich is their power forward um technically and he's not super power forwardy um so it's been a it's been a weird transition for the jazz uh swapping in the new starters and everything but Gobert has just been so, so, so dominant in there. And like, I mean, really you get within 10 feet and you feel like his arms can reach you. So you just pull back, find an open shooter and the poor defenders um, like Bogdanovich uh, don't get there in time and you give up a ton of points. The rest of our ballots for this award were all different. So Tyler, let's go with your number two and number three next at number two. You had someone who I heavily considered for the third spot on my ballot, but didn't end up going with. And your number three is a bit more out of left field, at least from my perspective, but I certainly understand where you're coming from with that pick. So who did you have below Anthony Davis on your theoretical ballot? 
Yeah, so for second, I had Marcus Smart, and just what this guy can do is um, just absurd to me. I mean, he's 6'3 and can guard any position on the floor at a very high level. Um, and you, I always hear that, oh, perimeter defense doesn't matter. You know, guard defense isn't that big of a deal. I tend to disagree. I think perimeter defense, as the game continues to move more and more towards the three-point line, is more and more important. And guards rarely ever get the love that they deserve for being incredible defenders. And that's exactly what Marcus Smart is. He's he's why their defense is fourth in the league right now. Um, there's no one that he can't guard. And he's just a pit bull out there and works his tail off every play. Yeah, I can jump in and just say he is excellent. I don't have a lot more to say than that. He can guard anyone. He's great. I still think that Marcus Smart calling himself a stretch six is <laughs> maybe the best NBA nickname we've gotten in the last five years. That is a keeper. Tyler, at number three on your list, you had someone who has certainly made significant strides on the defensive end in the last couple of years. And he is playing for a team that I think has been surprisingly good this season, especially on the defensive end. So what are your thoughts on your number three player, Bam Adebayo? Yeah, his box score stats aren't the most impressive. I mean, they're good, and he's 1.3 steals, 1.2 blocks per game. Um, but I mean, he's the, the Heat are just a very good team, and he is the backbone for their defense, and his versatility is so impressive. And his basketball IQ on that end of the floor is super impressive. Maybe he doesn't technically belong in the top three, but just what Adebayo has been able to do this year, um, I, th- I think warranted a shout out. And um, he's just been able to control and guard almost anyone on the floor. And just he's that that constant back there for them and they rarely make mistakes and he's a big reason because of that kevin you had Giannis slash Embiid at the third slot on your list we've talked a lot about Giannis already and Embiid has obviously been an anchor in the middle for the sixers defense but i have to admit i didn't really consider him because i was expecting the sixers defense to be a lot better than they have so far this year why did you end up putting Embiid at third on your list uh so i actually expected him to be better him and them to be better um but i was looking at it and i was like you know they have a real good defense uh not great but real good i think they're sixth and i went on his nba.com page and his defensive rating is 94 so as good as their defense can be and is he is just they're just better when he's on the floor it's a good defense and it is a much, much better defense when he's out there, even if he's not blocking shots quite as well uh, as he had before. He's just such a presence, and he's a big body who can who can get in your face and just shut people down. I had Paul Millsap as the third man on my ballot. As of right now, the Nuggets have the second-best defensive rating in basketball. They're doing that despite a disappointing season from Nikola Jokic. And while that disappointment has certainly been more on the offensive end than the defensive end, the fact that this team is second in defensive rating, I think really speaks to just how incredibly impressive Paul Millsap continues to be as a defensive anchor. His first season in Denver, they had a good defense when he was healthy and he missed a little over half the year and their defense cratered during the time that he was out. We are continuing to see that trend over the last couple of seasons. I could definitely argue that Paul Millsap is the most underrated star of his generation, and he's certainly adding to that case so far this season in Denver. But let's move on to the Rookie of the Year discussion. All three of us had two of the three slots on this theoretical ballot filled by John Morant and Eric Paschal. So, Tyler, why don't we start with you? What are your thoughts on what we've seen from the electric young Grizzlies guard, John Morant? He's so much fun. Um, and and he's just clearly the best rookie in this class. Um, with Zion out for as long as he has been, this has been a pretty disappointing uh, rookie class. But um, Morant just, he, he controls the offense. He can score when he wants. He sets up his teammates pretty well. 
he's shooting the ball a little better than I kind of originally expected him to. Um, and he's just been a lot of fun for not a very good team. Uh, I'll pop in. Yeah, he's he's good. My first pick was uh, Darius Garland for my Cleveland Cavaliers, but um, it, just kidding, they're terrible. Um, no, Ja's been good. Uh, he's another guy I haven't seen all that much of, but to me, the real story is like, he's almost getting it by default because we were all sure it was going to be Zion. And that's just the sort of bummer story that's taking place here is that we're not getting to see the guy. We were all like, Oh, this guy's going to be amazing. Of course, the follow-up bummer is that Ja hurt his back by falling into a cameraman that was way too close to the sideline and is now week to week. But I have seen quite a lot of Ja so far for the Grizzlies this year. And he had a bit of a star moment in their first win of the season against Brooklyn when he blocked Kyrie to send it to overtime and then hit Jay Crowder with a beautiful pass for the game-winning three-pointer. I mean, Morant just sort of has that star feel that we were expecting to see with Zion from the start of the season. But seeing that from Ja already, given that he is a extremely skinny point guard who has been thrown to the ground way too many times for my liking already in his NBA career. He's just been inordinately impressive and you have to give him a ton of credit, but it's not really all that surprising that he is the leading contender for this award, given that we haven't seen Zion so far outside of the preseason, but the guy who I have number two on my list, Tyler had number three, Kevin also had number two, has certainly been the most surprising rookie so far, and that's Eric Paschal of the Warriors. Granted, he's only getting as much playing time and opportunity with the ball in his hands as he is because the Warriors have been so ravaged by injury, but ultimately he's a rookie who's averaging over 17 points a game on not terrible efficiency, a little over five rebounds a game, and better defense than your average rookie as well. And given how disastrous this season has been so far for the Warriors, it is nice to at least see Pascal being one of the surprises of the early season. He's really the only reason to watch the Warriors at this point. Um, I I was pretty high on him in the draft last year, um, but this is better than I thought he was going to be. And he's just a pretty versatile scorer and defender um, and just going to be a really nice piece for them going forward in the future and it's a shame for them that they have to keep Jordan Poole on a guaranteed contract but uh Eric Pascal's on that second round draft pick contract yeah he's been solid you know um he's kind of the opposite of what I uh was originally saying in the MVP debate where um this is like he's maybe better than this but his team's so bad that you know he could be putting up more useful or more effective stats in a better situation, perhaps. Um, But he's been very, very good. Tyler had Kendrick Nunn in the second slot on his ballot. Kevin had Rui Hachimura in the third slot on his ballot. I had Brandon Clark in the third slot on my ballot. I think it's pretty telling that only one of those three guys was drafted in the lottery and only two of those three guys were drafted, period. says a lot about, as Tyler already mentioned, the fact that this rookie class has been a little bit disappointing. But in terms of Brandon Clark, Tyler and I have been calling him the steal of the draft basically since the draft happened. And we've been proven right so far this season. Obviously, it's really early. But the fact that he's shooting 45% from three is incredibly vital because that was really the only question about his game going into the year. And I doubt he'll maintain it at that level, but him just shooting three-pointers at all is really helpful. He's already got one of the best floaters in basketball. He's not averaging crazy numbers, a little under 12 points and six rebounds a game, but he's been the best rookie in the league on defense in addition to being a solid contributor on offense. And it still boggles my mind that he fell as far as he did in the draft. Yeah, I I don't hate this at all. Um, I I think Brandon Clark's been incredible. We've covered him ad nauseum at this point for over the season but he just does he focuses on what he's good at and he doesn't play outside of his game and he's just a really 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 good basketball player and I can't believe he fell to where he did on the draft yeah I don't really have anything to add that you guys haven't said about him so I'll try to move along and give my 30 second case for Ruby Hachimura which is I have been watching a surprising amount of Washington Wizards basketball um, like more than zero. Um, 
because they're scoring like 150 points once a week. Um, and he just, he, he just looks okay. Like he can't shoot yet. Um, which, you know, matters, but, uh, he's super active and he's just kind of fun to watch. And he, you, every time you look up, he's doing something useful. Um, and it's kind of hard to quantify a lot of that, but, um, if you do take the plunge and watch a wizards game, you'll be like, Oh, he's a nice little player. Moving on to sixth man. Kevin and I have the same two players in our top two slots, but we have the order flipped. Tyler has one of those two players in his second slot. So let's just start this all out by talking about the Clippers bench players who might end up going one, two in this award yet again, Montrez Harrell and Lou Williams. I ended up going with Montrez over Lou in part because I really do want Harrell to win at least one because he's one of my favorite players in the league to watch. He's possibly got the highest motor in the league. If not, it's really, really close. He's averaging almost 19 points a game and eight rebounds per game for the Clippers. He's incredibly efficient on the offensive end. He tries on the defensive end. That's obviously never going to be his strong suit, but he's certainly not as much of a negative on that end of the floor as his bench teammate in Lou Williams. But really for me, those were always going to be the top two guys on my ballot. Tyler, however, had someone that neither Kevin or I had on our list as his number one six man. So let's start there. Tyler, what are your thoughts on what you've seen from Goran Dragic so far this year? This guy's been a lot of fun. Um, and he's been relegated to the bench behind Kendrick Nunn, essentially, a uh, former undrafted guy who spent a year in the G League. And he's accepted his role and played at a really high level. He's second on the team in scoring. He's shooting over 40% from three. He controls the offense when he's out there. And he's an actual six man who doesn't play almost the entire game. <laughs> that felt personal. <laughs> Never. Um, no, I mean, he's he's a good choice. Um, I have Lou Williams over Montrez Harrell just by the tiniest margin um, as my one and two. But the reason to me is like the biggest thing you need from a bench player is to keep your team in the game while your stars are resting. And that's what Lou Williams does. He can get any bucket from anywhere on the floor against anybody and that's what you want in a bench guy. And yeah, he is, uh, he's a bit of a screen door on defense, um, but he's so good offensively and he's so entertaining offensively that he just gets that very slight edge uh, over Montrez. But you know, when you talked about Montrez defense, um, not a superstar, but he's athletic and he tries like crazy and that gets you, a pretty long way, I think. At number three, Tyler and I both had members of the Milwaukee Bucks. He ended up going with Dante DiVincenzo. I went with George Hill. Really, for me, it was just that I needed someone else to fill out the third slot on the ballot because I was pretty sure of my top two and not as sure of anyone behind them. Kevin, I think, is displaying once again that he's watched an unhealthy amount of Washington Wizards basketball <laughs> by having Davis Bertans as his number three player in this race. Okay, in fairness to me, Davis Bertans is shooting 45% from three on eight attempts per game. This guy is, like, turning into the, I don't know, what is he, Latvian Kyle Korver or something? Uh, he's, I don't know. I shouldn't be so excited about Davis Bertans, but I'm telling you, you cannot leave this guy with an inch of space within 30 feet of the hoop. It's great. It's really fun. Kevin, buddy, you know there are other selections on League Pass. I do know that, uh, <laughs> but I like watching teams score points. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Um, sorry, not, the reason I went with DiVincenzo, um, he stepped up big when Middleton went down, and he's really earned more playing time from that. He has a net rating of 19.8 and is a plus 9 per game. Um, his defensive rating is absurd at 93.1 with a 112.9 offensive rating. He's just playing really well all around basketball, not filling up the box score a whole lot. Um but just playing really, really well-rounded basketball that's 
been super important in uh, replacing those Malcolm Brogdon minutes from last year. Moving on to most improved player, all three of us had the same player in the number one slot on our ballots. And if things continue as they have so far this year, this might end up being the easiest award on the docket. Last season, Devontae Graham played in 46 games for the Charlotte Hornets and started three of them. He shot a truly abysmal percentage from the floor and three-point range, 34.3% from the field, 28.1% from deep for an effective field goal percentage of 42.1. He played in 676 minutes total all of last year. He's already blown through that total this year. And heading into Saturday's games, he was third in the league in total assists and second in the league in total three-point makes. Granted, that's a little bit higher than it might otherwise be just because the Hornets have played more games than any other team. But I certainly was not expecting Devontae Graham to be the talk of the early season and the Charlotte Hornets being at 9-15 and 15 right now is actually probably a better pace than most people expected from them. For the power rankings, I got stuck, I guess, with uh, having to, to cover this team. And I was not thrilled about it because I thought for sure they were going to be a bottom three in the league. And they have vastly outperformed what my expectations were. And a big part of that is because of Graham. And he is so much more fun to watch this year than last his points are up from 4.7 to 19.1. Assists are up from 2.6 to 7.8. His three-point percentage is up from 28 to 42. And this is the probably one of the best examples we've had of a most improved player over the last decade. It's not just he's gotten a bigger role. This guy has legitimately, legitimately improved his game and looks like a completely different player than he did last year. Here's how you know he is a much improved player is I watch a lot of basketball and I check a lot of box scores and I read a lot about basketball. I don't think I knew what the D stood for in D Graham on opening night this year. Uh, And now it's like, oh, here's this guy who is just like tearing the league apart. Um, You look at his uh, at his per game numbers and literally everything is up except two-point field goal percentage, which who cares about those anyway? Um, he's been he's been crazy, uh, and even more than just how good he's been overall is if you look, uh, he had a couple of a couple of like no shows in the first six games or so. Um, the third game he scored nine points on one of thirteen, and the sixth game he scored four points on one of eight. So if you toss those out, he's averaging like 21 or 22 a game. He's just been so good and seemingly out of nowhere. It's not like they were a great team last year and he wasn't getting minutes. They were pretty mediocre. This year they're maybe a little less than mediocre, but they're not bottom of the barrel like we expected. uh, And he has a large part to do with that. Both of you had the same player at number two on your respective ballots. So, Tyler, what have you seen out of Duncan Robinson so far this year? A bit of a similar case to Devon A. Graham in a lot of ways. Oh, so I changed this. You must not have seen it, but I changed it to Brandon Ingram, but I will still gladly <laughs> talk about Duncan Robinson, a former Michigan man who is a delight this year. Um, his points are up by almost eight per game. His shooting splits are 46, 42, and 94. This guy's had over five made threes in a game like six or seven times this year. He's been a very important reason why the Miami Heat are 16-6 and on the season. And I feel like if you asked 95% of basketball fans coming into the year, they would have no idea who Duncan Robinson was. Kevin, since you did actually have him at number two on your ballot and my reading comprehension is clearly back up to par, what were your thoughts on Duncan Robinson's early season? Pretty similar to what Tyler just said. You know, you you saw him suddenly, you know, he had a game where he hit just like a ton of threes and you're like, wait, who the heck is this guy? And you come to find out that it wasn't just one game. I mean, he's shooting 43% from deep on the year and he's 
he's a necessary part of everything they do. And it's not, you know, a guy who was 19, and yes, this is his second year, but it's not a guy who was a 19-year-old super raw prospect who got all this crazy coaching and got in incredible shape over the summer. He's 25. Uh, he's over 25 and a half. Like, by the season's end, he'll be, he'll be about to turn 26. So he's not some raw prospect that just got the coaching that he needed. Like, he's a mature dude who just is getting more minutes and is using them really very impressively. Uh, he's, he's a surprisingly great piece for the Heat, who are surprisingly great. So I had the same number two player as Kevin's number three player, and my number three player was the same as Tyler's number three player. We've already talked a lot about Pascal Siakam, so let's just jump straight to the guy that Tyler and I had at number three, Andrew Wiggins has been one of the more disappointing players in the league for the past few seasons, but he's really turned it around so far this year. He's cut out a lot of the terrible mid-range jumpers that he used to shoot, and he's clearly much happier with Ryan Saunders as the head coach than he was with Tom Thibodeau as the head coach. But Tyler, as the sole proprietor for many years of Andrew Wiggins Island, what are your thoughts on what we've seen from him so far? That I'm getting rich. Um... <laughs> I love this kid, um, and he's he's so much better this year than last. And I kind of wanted to put him at number one, but he scored over twenty points and whatnot quite a few times in his career. So I didn't feel like he was really worthy or whatever. And Devontae Graham's been awesome. Anywho, Andrew Wiggins, and he's um, he's eliminated so many of his bad shots. He's attacking the rim, um, and he's one of the best in the league at it. He has a deadly spin move. He's passing more. His assists are up. He's scoring over 25 points a game. He's averaging a full rebound and assist more per game. And this, the Timberwolves are so much better when he's out on the floor. And in clutch situations, he's been one of the best in the league. So, And at this point in the season, it feels like a legitimate change in his career arc. Um, and I'm hoping that it's uh, that, that it really stays that way going forward. All right, let's wrap all of this up by talking about our Coach of the Year picks. Both of you had this guy at number two on your ballots, and I had him at number one, so let's just start there. A lot of the credit for how good the Raptors have been so far this year deservedly goes to Pascal Siakam and Fred Van Vliet, but I had Nick Nurse at the top of my list. It's funny because... He gets a lot of flack for his quote-unquote gimmicky defenses, like the boxing one, triangle and two, things like that. But the thing is, those work. And I give a lot of credit to coaches who are willing to try things that are maybe a little bit weird, but actually work. And being willing to sort of step outside of the conventional wisdom to just do everything you can to try and get your team wins. I mean... The Raptors have been one of the most surprising teams of the early season, and given the players that they lost and the record that they've been able to maintain, I have to give a lot of credit to Nick Nurse. And he's a legitimately good coach, and and he was part of the Dwayne Casey coaching staff um, before Nurse took over, so he's been a big part of um, Siakam and Ben Fleet's development. And he's been getting really, really good minutes in production out of guys like Terrence Davis and Chris Boucher, um, who, you know, most people wouldn't think would belong in a winning rotation. Yeah, he gets a lot of credit just because, you know, last year he got a team to arguably overachieve and they lose their best player and they are definitely overachieving this year based on expectation anyway. Um, and you know, like Nick said, maybe some of the stuff gets gimmicky, but if a gimmick works, it works. And not being afraid to try those things um, is really a, an important thing for a coach. Um, beyond that, you know, when we talk about some of these great players or some of these guys who are exploding like Pascal Siakam again, um, or even Luca, whose coach is going to show up somewhere on this list, I think, um, you get a coach who is able and willing to unleash a great player and, you know, the coach doesn't make them talented, 
But if a coach can maximize their talent, they get a ton of credit for that. And to see Siakam putting up 25 and 9 or whatever he's doing, um, coach deserves some credit for that, for putting him in a position to succeed. So we will, in fact, be talking about Luca's coach later, seeing as both Tyler and Kevin had him on their ballots. I would have had him at sixth overall, and it seems pretty clear that he's been bumped off my list by someone that neither of you had on your lists, but I had at number two overall. I think that Frank Vogel has done an excellent job with the Lakers so far this season. I think that while obviously the lion's share of the credit goes to LeBron and Anthony Davis, the Lakers are 20-3, and and I don't think anyone was expecting them to be that good to start the season. Part of being a good coach of these superstar players is being able to work with them and subsume your own ego a little bit as a coach to be willing to do whatever it takes to get LeBron and Anthony Davis on board. And Vogel has certainly done an infinitely better job of that than Luke Walton did with LeBron last season. And really, the fact that Vogel has staved off the impending Jason Kidd assassination for as long as he has also deserves a lot of credit in my mind. He's good. I would have him at number six on mine. Um, but like you said, the this is sort of the deal when you coach LeBron, is that if things go well, you don't get credit for it. Um, and yes, they're doing better than I expected them to, and I'm sure credit should go to him for that. Um, but I think with a lot of these other teams, uh, except for one probably, but a lot of these other teams, the expectations were low compared to where they are and like the Lakers were supposed to be real good and they're real real good and so it's not quite enough of a difference um for me anyway to to rank him above these other guys that that kind of just sums it up for me and he's proven he's a good coach with his in his time at Indiana um and his his defensive philosophy and focus is kind of coming through in a big way and is really just helped by how that roster is constructed um, I just kind of have the hesitation where it's like if LeBron's willing to buy into a coach or at least show up for him, then the team's going to be good. And if he's not, they're going to be what they were last year. So Vogel's a very good coach. He just didn't make my top five. Well, speaking of LeBron showing up for his coaches, probably the coach that he showed up for the most over the course of his career is the guy that both of you had at number one and I, of course, am insulting the entire city of Miami by putting Eric Spolstra all the way down at number three. The Heat have been sort of similar to the Raptors in that they've been a surprising part of the upper echelon of the Eastern Conference. And with Spolstra, he's doing that with Jimmy Butler having a bit of a down year statistically. And other than that, just sort of cobbling together a roster with, you know, as is the Miami way, a bunch of undrafted guys who the Heat managed to mold into really solid role players, which, once again, we're seeing that with both Kendrick Nunn and Duncan Robinson so far this season. I mean, who are these guys? Really, you think about the Heat, and the one constant, as they've been so good for the last decade, has been Spolstra. And, like, even when they've been bad, they haven't been that bad, you know? Um, Jimmy Butler seems perfectly content, and while I think he was pretty content in Philadelphia for a couple of months last year. He's not a guy who is famously happy in a lot of situations. Um, he seems pretty happy. And like you said, he isn't even playing particularly well yet. You got Kendrick. I mean, looking at their starting lineup, Myers Leonard has started 22 games. Who would expect a Myers Leonard, Duncan Robinson, Kendrick Nunn, Bam Adebayo, Jimmy Butler starting five to be 16 and six. Uh, but they are, and they just, they're finding ways to, uh, to get them. I mean, Spo is finding ways to get the most out of these guys and that's just what he's been doing forever. And it's really, really impressive. The most impressive part to me is just the culture he's been able to help to build there with Pat Riley and the expectations and getting these guys to buy in and not only live up to the team's expectations of them, but to vastly exceed them. And Kendrick Nunn, Duncan Robinson, two guys undrafted, playing over 26 minutes a game and scoring at double digits every game. They get the most out of anyone on their roster. Everyone's expected to be in shape and to contribute. 
and they're always really well prepared. Um, just what he's done this year with, and really his entire tenure in Miami is super impressive. And he's, I think he's clearly one of the best three coaches in the league. Tyler had Rick Carlisle at third and Mike Budenholzer at fourth. Kevin had Budenholzer third, Rick Carlisle fourth. Obviously, they've both had really impressive seasons leading teams with top MVP candidates, but Budenholzer has quickly established himself as one of the better coaches in the league and seems like he's going to be around in Milwaukee for a while. And obviously, Carlisle has been doing this for many, many, many years, and the Dallas bench continuing to be as good as they've been with the sort of cobbled together parts that that bench has been for a long time now really speaks to the incredible coaching job that Rick Carlisle continues to do down there. They're awesome. Uh, It's not unlike um, the Miami situation, but Nick, like you just said, their bench and Tyler, I think you said it earlier, um, their bench and their guys outside of Luca should not be performing as well as they are performing. Um, And the one guy who should be performing really well is not in Chris And yet, there they are. They're still winning games. They're still, uh, I mean, they're super fun to watch. But they're 15-6. and six. Like, we expected good things from them, um, but not this good and not this kind of good either. So Rick Carlisle, to me, is, you know, you don't coach in the NBA for as long as he's been coaching in the NBA without knowing a few things, and he just seems to know what he's doing. Um, I'll touch on, on Budenholzer real quick and just say that um, I really, really, I still think that um, the Bucks are less talented than they were last year by losing uh, Brogdon. I think he was just very underrated and he's been doing good things for uh, the Pacers. Um, and the fact that the Bucks are better, arguably, and they're just they're just wrecking teams. Um, and yeah, Giannis deserves a ton of the credit for that. Um, but so does Budenholzer. The common theme with my top three and Spolstra, Nurse, and Carlisle is these guys just getting the most out of their roster and exceeding expectations. Um, and Carlisle's playing guys like Dwight Powell, Maxi Kleba, and um, Dorian Finney-Smith, who are fine players, but they're playing at a really high level for him. And He's just been a really good coach for a really long time. And Budenholzer, I mean, the Bucks are 20-3 and three with 14 straight wins. I mean, how, how do you not include him? Um, his, his system and philosophies are ingrained in those guys, and he's just built a really, really nice team there. Both of you have the same coach at number five on your list. I have him at number four, so we'll get into him in a minute. But since neither of you had my number five guy, I will just give him a shout out really quickly. The Indiana Pacers have played a really easy schedule so far, but even with that in mind, nobody expected them to go 14-8 and eight without Victor Oladipo. And once again, I think a lot of the credit for that has to go to their coach in Nate McMillan. And... This team is a top 10 defense once again, and their offense has been a little bit above league average, which is a lot better than I expected, especially given that we've yet to see Oladipo back on the court. And ultimately, I thought that if this team could go 500 until Oladipo got back, they would be a playoff contender. And now it seems pretty clear that they're going to be one of the playoff teams in the Eastern Conference. And I think a lot of the credit for that has to go to their coach, but let's circle back to the guy that I had at number four and both of you had at number five. Monty Williams has done a really impressive job with Phoenix so far this year. They've tailed off a little bit after a hot start, but their defense has been better than it's been in about a half a decade. And a lot of the credit for that, I think, has to go to Williams. And the other thing is... Pretty much everyone coming out of Phoenix is raving about how much better the culture is and the locker room environment is this season. Devin Booker in particular had a conversation with Mark Spears where he couldn't have heaped more praise on the culture that Monty Williams has set up in that locker room. And given that we're less than a year removed from the story about the owner leaving live goats in the general manager's office, 
anytime you're talking about the culture being good with the team, it's clearly a remarkable turnaround. And a lot of the credit for that has to go to Monty Williams. I like the Suns. Uh, I, guys, I swear I'm not in any trouble between the Wizards <laughs> and watching the Suns. Um, but no, you know, the, um, the Suns, like you said, have hit a rough patch. I think they're three and seven in their last 10, uh, which is almost exactly, uh, how many games Aaron Baines has missed. Um, and so obviously Monty Williams deserves a lot of credit. Uh, they've just got better players in there and are, they're just kind of writing the ship and, but I think the reason Williams deserves a lot of credit for that is um, I don't think guys who get signed by the Suns uh, or guys who got signed this summer or even if go back to like May, if someone's like, hey, you're going to get a $5 million a year raise but play in Phoenix, how do you feel about that? They'd be like, uh, I guess I'll enjoy the money, you know, <laughs> like, but Monty Williams is in there and yeah, the culture is changing. People are happy to be there, and it shows. I mean, they're playing competitive basketball and, and getting things done. Monty's always been regarded as like one of the best guys in the league, too, so just seeing someone who's been through what he has in the past couple of years find the success and really get this team to believe in what he's coaching them to do is really great to see. And finally seeing some of this young, young talent kind of perform. Um, has, has been encouraging. Uh, one of the things I like that he's done with that team is obviously it helps to have actual adults in the locker room and on the roster, um, but kind of taking the ball out of Devin Booker's hands more and letting him work more off ball, I think has been really important for their offense and um, Booker's overall game. So just minor things like that and creating a more positive culture in the locker room um, has been really impressive for him. All right. Anything else that either of you think we should discuss before we wrap up here? I'm good. I'm happy. I think we covered it. How can you say you're happy? You're a Cleveland Cavaliers fan and you spent the whole podcast talking about how you watch the Wizards and the Suns. <laughs> that stung a little. Uh, but uh, No, man. The NBA is good. Their ratings are down, and I'm not one of the people who is responsible for the ratings being down, so I'm happy. All right. Well, they are Tyler Metcalf and Kevin Nye. You can find both of their work on the hashtag basketball website, and you can find Tyler on Twitter at T-M-E-T-C-A-L-F-1-1, Kevin at Kevin P-N-Y-E. And both of them will be joining me in writing yet another edition of the Hashtag Basketball Power Rankings coming up soon. So be sure to be on the lookout for that. If you've been enjoying the podcast, please take the time to leave a rating and or a review in whatever podcast player you might be using. And if you have any feedback, feel free to reach out to me either on Twitter at N-B-A-J-O-H-N-S-O-N or via email, nickaj.nba at gmail.com. And as always, thanks so much for listening.